Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. Today on the show is Gabby Rooker, a professional runner who I've wanted to have on the show for a long time because this woman is simply amazing. She just ran 224 in Chicago. As longtime listeners know, usually we don't have pro runners in the podcast. This is about dedicated amateur runners, but I couldn't wait to get Gabby on the show because she was an amateur runner. This was someone who, for the majority of her, you know, preteen years, even teenage years, was a high-level gymnast, went to college at, at Wisconsin Lacrosse, which is a D3 school, ended up winning three national titles in gymnastics at Wisconsin Lacrosse, and got into running in her mid-20s, just kind of trying out new sports. Ten years after that, she's one of the best marathoners in the country. She just ran 224 Chicago. This woman is absolutely incredible. And given her atypical background, I couldn't wait to hear more about her evolution as a runner, not only physically, but mentally and emotionally too. Everything that goes into being a runner at a high level, especially when that transitioned from a sport outside of the normal running world, right? A lot of times you see runners come from like, all right, I used a college soccer player and I got into running. And that's a, certainly a um, a really you know, interesting topic to discuss. You can see the evolution there, right? Soccer is just running with a soccer ball, right? Whereas gymnastics, it's a completely different sport. And yet Gabby has been able to do it. And I couldn't wait to talk to her about it. Before we get into the episode, I want to welcome a brand new sponsor, Ola Dance. The open ear design of the Ola Dance headphones are unbelievable. Unlike bone conduction headphones, there's no fatigue after two hours and the, the sound quality is far superior and they have a 19 hour long lasting battery. And just like the bone conduction headphones, they're super safe. The open ear design allows you to hear everything around you, but this time you get high quality podcasts and music to go along with it with an unbelievable battery life. You can save 20% by going to oladance.com forward slash rambling and using code rambling at checkout when you buy the OWS2 headphones. So get yours today. All right, Gabby, welcome to the show. Hey, Matt, thanks for having me. I am so excited to chat. You are someone who I've been following for a while, seeing this amazing progression you've had as a runner and then listening to you on Carrie Tomlinson's show and then reading all the articles. This is just going to be an absolute blast. I don't have uh, pro runners on the Rambling Runner podcast very often. Usually it's about dedicated amateur runners for dedicated amateur runners. But you're someone who has gone from dedicated amateur runner to one of the elites in the sport, one of the best marathoners in America, seemingly overnight. I know that's not the truth, but it's seemingly for a lot of people overnight. So I can't wait to get you on the show. With that said, before we get into it, I have to go all the way back. Gabby, you were like this big time gymnast growing up and then taking a year off and taking you know, a year or two off and getting into college and doing it again winning three division three national titles walk me back to the early days of what got you into gymnastics because i can't wait to talk ultimately about the progression from that into running sure well um i think it started when i was about two and a half or three i was the third of four children and i was the most rambunctious bouncing off walls and so my parents needed me to have an outlet and found a local community gymnastics program. And as most gymnasts who end up competing and having competitive careers, I fell in love with it before I even knew what falling in love with something was. Right, because if you're starting at that age, then that basically predates like your earliest memory, right? I mean, like that, that basically goes all the way back. So when, obviously like, 
with that being said, you probably don't remember even starting gymnastics if you're two and a half. Like not many people remember like that that time of their life. But what in your early years that you remember, what drew you to gymnastics? Not only love it, but also to stick with it at that such at such an early age and kind of like bouncing around between sports and and the doing all that sort of thing. That's a good question. I think it was something that became so interwoven into my personal identity at such a young age that I didn't feel like a choice I was making. It just felt like part of life um, from as long as I can remember. Like you said, my memories probably do predate gymnastics or gymnastics predates my memories, I mean. So hard to know. It didn't feel like it was ever a decision to be a gymnast, but I do remember being a kid and that feeling of being upside down and cartwheels in the park, which turned into back handsprings, which turned into backflips, and always wanting to be at the gym doing gymnastics with my gymnastics friends. It was really just my lifestyle from as long as I can remember. And that's one of the sports where there's not really a season, right? So you can, Jason, you can just sign up and just keep signing up and keep going and going and going and going kind of like how swimming can be for a youngster or other sports especially in those early age groups before you know as we get older there are certainly like say soccer clubs that go year round and things like that for that age group especially that's one of those rare sports where there's not a seasonal element to it so were you kind of year round right from the jump or did did that something is that something that you kind of evolved into i think i was year round pretty pretty quickly um by the time you start competing, most kids are year-round, and this might be changing a bit, but unfortunately, other involvement in sport was pretty frowned upon, um, even at a very young age. So the competition season for little kids is generally September, October through December, um, and then maybe some more fun, kind of less important meets in the spring. Um, and then for older kids, it's kind of December, January through March, April, May. And then you have a summer season where you're learning your new skills. So just like you said, it, it is a year-round sport. And it's for most, it's not a high school sport. So you don't have the um, in-season, out-season rules. Right. And were you, did you do any other sports growing up? Or was it mostly all, I mean, before, you know, I know in high school, and we can talk, talk about this, high school, you kind of you know parted ways with gymnastics for a little bit. But during the bulk of your, you know, early life, preteen, young teen athletic life was it just gymnastics or were other sports in the mix i think i tried a summer or two of soccer um which was more just for kind of fun and then i actually did do a season of track um in fourth or fifth grade but unfortunately i um was put in a position where i had to pick between one of the two um not by my family um by kind of coaches and so i chose gymnastics Gotcha. And what about what about gymnastics? Did you love? Was there a certain like element that you liked doing more than others? Was it like just the skill acquisition and learning new things? Like, what what about gymnastics really beyond just the, you know, the the kind of like the gravity of con- of continuing with an endeavor? What aspects of it really drew you in? I think from a young age, I was someone who liked kind of rigidity and rule following, and that's a huge part of fundamental gymnastics is learning the basics, getting them down perfectly. And even when you're older, a lot of gymnastics is basics. So you might spend of a four or five hour practice, uh, two or two and a half hours might be end up being basics. 
Um, so you kind of do that, but then as you progress the, the feeling of flipping around and trying new skills and challenging yourself was something I absolutely loved the whole career. Gotcha. Gotcha. And what, what elements did you like most? Uh, my favorite event was floor. Um, so probably tumbling was my, uh, you know, most consistent and fun thing. Gotcha. I actually was, I was able to watch one of the, one of your, um, floor routines i think when you're at wisconsin lacrosse i think it was the one that was like in the fast woman article it's like on the youtube clip oh yeah i think that was my very last floor routine ever oh, okay yeah it was like first of all i was like again i'm an untrained i don't know what i'm doing like my, my daughter does gymnastics but like i have no idea what i'm looking at but i remember being like gabby is so mentally strong there's like three different like musical starts and stops in the beginning like for you to even start the competition i'm like oh my god like this must be like so infuriating but like you like stay so composed and then you were able to like knock it out of the park yeah thank you all right so when you as you're progressing through gymnastics it was obviously a major part of your life for a long time what or what elements of gymnastics either the sport itself or the culture around it kind of led you away from it um, in, the, in the early years or kind of in the high school years? I had a series of some unfortunate injuries. I have broken arms. Um, so I think that was kind of hard to keep coming back from. And then I had a coaching change my senior year, which was unpredicted. So I had been looking at Division One schools and touring some schools and sorting things out and just realized with the changes that I was going to take a year off and do Division Three gymnastics instead. And try my first and only season of a high school sport, which was track. There you go. And when you envisioned, all right, I'm not going to do the D1 stuff. I'm going to go do the D3 stuff. What did that mean for you in terms of a mentality shift or from a commitment shift? Like at that time, that seems like you probably were trending up towards that division one, potentially scholarship kind of goal for a very long time. So when you made that, that shift later on, in high school, what did that mean in terms of from a goal perspective or shifting gymnastics around in terms of your own schedule, time, commitment, you know, and, and those sorts of things? I think it was a huge lesson for me to go from being solely focused on a full ride Division One scholarship to transitioning to Division Three, um, being there solely for the purpose of I want to be here, I want to continue doing gymnastics, I want to be on a college team. Um, and I want to pick the very best Division three college team I can be on um, from like a success standpoint, but also from a team culture standpoint. And so reaching that level of acceptance and then feeling really comfortable in it took a long time. Um, but once I got there, I think it was huge for me because my college uh, career was such a positive part of my life. Now, I don't know how to like artfully ask this question, but like, was that the first time that you were either took control in a positive direction or maybe even negative direction, but just like took control of the decision-making process in regards to your gymnastics career? Or like at that point, have you already made like, like I guess the reason I ask is because oftentimes, especially with athletes who do a sport for so long, you've been doing this since you were two and a half, right? So this is like, at this point, you've been doing it for 15 years, right? So was it just kind of like, did the, did the momentum of the sport kind of build upon itself or did you have agency in the decision-making process about how much to do or how, if to continue at, at various points along the way? I think there's a big piece of it that's, you know, a river flowing and you just don't ever 
question it. Your friends are there. Your goals are all focused on there. Um, from the time you're a kid, you're focused on college gymnastics. Um, but I did have pretty significant injuries. And I think after each one of those, my parents and my coaches were all really respectful of giving me space and allowing me to make that decision on my own, even when I was 14, 15, 16. So I think I did have the choice to keep going after those injuries. That's great. And obviously that, that's probably why you set the stage for, all right, like I want to downshift, but not like completely out of the sport. When downshift to division three as opposed to be like, that's it, I'm done. Like I've had enough um, kind of vibes. Yeah, most definitely. All right. So when you were going through the college process to look for a, a place that fit your athletic goals as well as your academic goals, what brought you to Wisconsin lacrosse and how did you make that decision? So when I started looking at Division three programs, there were only a few I was seriously considering. And UW lacrosse had been an absolute powerhouse for a long time. They'd won a lot of national championships. I'd heard really great things about coach Barbara Gibson. And so I went there and met the team, spent a weekend there, and it just felt like the right fit. Gotcha. And when you're especially coming off a situation where you had a coaching change that didn't work well for you, what were some of the things that you wanted out of the, the coach-athlete relationship when you were making the college decision? So I had actually had a pretty good club culture, especially in terms of club gymnastics, um, except this kind of fluke coaching situation. So um, I just you know want to give my club coaches that, that for sure. Absolutely. Um, but I really was looking for someone who was going to foster, you know, a young developing adult, helping become, you know, figure who you are out, balancing sport with school um, and academics, and then have just a great team culture and also like to be competitive, like winning. Absolutely. No, I, I love that. And as a former D3 athlete myself, I can certainly appreciate that. And, and it's one of those things where as a Division three athlete, you really have to be a self-starter in that regard because there's a lot of options out there, right? You're finally living on your own. You do all of these things. There's so many other choices. A lot of your friends might not be Division three athletes. It might just be people in your hall that you meet freshman year and things like that. So you really have to be driven in a way that is kind of outside what you normally get at the high school or maybe even club level where, you know, everyone you're you know associating with is kind of like in the sport with you or like along those lines. Where in college, it's a little bit different. So as you are progressing through college, and then maybe even more importantly, as you're getting through like junior, senior year, and you're envisioning life after college, obviously gymnastics is not a sport that you see a lot of people doing post-collegiately. Just, it's just not one of those sports. So how did you envision yourself as an athlete without gymnastics as graduation day was approaching? I think I always knew that I'd be done when college was over. Um, I did decide to coach for a year and a half, which was a great step back for me. So I was a part of the team, um, got to have a different role, but hopefully impact young women in a, in a different way. Um, so that was a great step back for me. Yeah, absolutely. And how about just from an athletic perspective in terms of your own, you know, your own physical well-being? Like if you're just someone who's been working out, not working out, but like being involved in serious, a serious athletic endeavor for upwards of 20 hours a week for two decades at that point, what was it like transitioning into not not having to do that, but making choices where like, obviously you don't want to go from like, 
I work out all the time to like, oh, I never work out anymore. I just sit on the couch all day now. Like, so what was it like for you transitioning into a, a, um, I guess a non-gymnastic centered athletic life? Yeah, it was tough. Um, I remember taking some time intentionally off an extended period because I'd never done that before. Um, and then I do have a memory of going for a run with Alex, who we were, we were dating at the time. He's now my husband and my coach. And it was probably, you know, 80, 85 degrees. I hadn't done anything since towards the end of, you know, gymnastics and making it about two miles and walking up the hill and saying, I'm never doing this again. (laughs) So my introduction to running as an adult (laughs) wasn't the most positive, but luckily I didn't let it be my last. Yeah, to say the least, that is for sure. Now, obviously people envision what gymnastics is. Everyone has seen gymnastics on television if they haven't part, you know, participated in it or, or anything like that. But I think that we can all agree that it's really, you know, the foundation of it is these explosive movements, right? Like no matter what, no matter what endeavor you're doing, no matter what in a gymnastics, it's really this explosive, you know, sport. Whereas marathoning is pretty much the opposite <laughs> in terms of you know the kind of explosion necessary hopefully from a step per step per step first step perspective so i'd love to hear about you know your early first of all like why you got into running in the first place kind of where it landed in your like daily or weekly routine in terms of kind of picking it up and just the evolution of it from an athletic perspective because all of a sudden you're doing a sport which is kind of antithetical to what you're doing before this isn't like a soccer player who then picks up running it's like yeah yeah but you were already running you just had a ball at your feet the whole time right this is a, a very different thing I think I started the kind of sampling period that a lot of kids do where you play t-ball and soccer and hockey and whatever sports your parents put you in or your friends are in and you jump on um I kind of did that in my mid-20s so I was kind of running in the periphery for physical activity and just to stay well um, started doing that more, but I was also doing things like yoga and I did join a soccer league and I was doing CrossFit and trying to balance that with, I was going to school to become a physician assistant. So balancing all that out. And then it wasn't until after PA school when I had a little more time that I actually sort of consciously started to run more. So you're, you're testing all of these things, right? Tasting all these different sports. Um, I'm sure the CrossFit community was like, why not stay with us, right? You're already so good at these explosive movements. Um, so what about running was kind of the one that you decided upon or end up sticking with after testing all these others? All right. Quick message about John G. I love this company. Today was 30 degrees here in Rhode Island. Frost on the ground. First frost of the year. What, what did I what did I have to choose? Well, it was 30 degrees and it was sunny. So for me, 30 and sunny, that's tricky, okay? For me, today, that meant the two-in-one shorts because when it's sunny, you get that. It just feels a little warmer in the sun, obviously. So I didn't want to wear the pants. I wore the two-in-one shorts. So you have the, the liner underneath and the seven-inch shorts on top. It was the perfect mix of just great running shorts, but also get a little bit of warmth because that two-in-one fit felt awesome. And my, I had a great run. So I had the long sleeve John G top, the two-in-one shorts. It was great for that 30-degree weather, that sunny, the sunny side of things. And that's what I look for, right? You have Sometimes you want to wear the long sleeve, the long pants because it's cold. Other days, it's obviously the shorts and the t-shirt. It's those middle days that can get a little tricky. And these shorts were perfect for that. Also, I could put my iPhone in the two-in-one pocket right along the side. I didn't have to carry it. 
gosh, I love these shorts so much. You can check them out for yourself at johng.com. That's J-A-N-J-I.com and use code rambling to save 15% on some of the best running attire in the world. Now let's get back to my conversation with Gabby Brooker. You know, that's a tough question. Um, I don't remember what it was. Kind of like when you asked, do you remember falling in love with gymnastics? I don't remember that. I don't remember falling in love with running. I think we have a really great running community and running paths in Minneapolis. So I would, I now live by this chain of lakes, which is pretty well known in the Twin Cities area, but I didn't at the time. So I would drive there and run one of the lakes or two of the lakes and it became kind of contemplative and meditative and something that I just enjoyed. So I was thinking, okay, I'll just try doing this competitively and see how it goes. So and and Alex, you mentioned before, is like your boyfriend at the time and your husband now. Now he did he run track in college? Yeah, he did. He was a sprinter at lacrosse as well. Okay. All right. So was there any influence there or was he kind of figuring out his own athletic journey post college the same time you were? Yeah, none. Gotcha. Gotcha. See, this is amazing to me, right? Because if someone like didn't listen to the intro and they just listened to the beginning of this podcast, like the first 17 minutes we've recorded right now, they would never know what was to come in terms of your running future. From, like where we are right now in the timeline to like the following like 10 years of where this is going. This is why like I wanted to make sure I set the stage properly because like this is where like the, the, the story becomes absolutely like phenomenal and one of those like holy cow type moments. So all right, you pick up running, not to make this whole this whole conversation isn't going to be chronological the whole time, but I do think that this part is important. So can you talk to me about when it started to click for you where running transitioned at least either physically or mentally and emotionally from something that was merely like, hey, this is a sport I like to do, and it's just you know something that I just do on the side or for a hobby or whatever, to something where you looked at it and said, wow, like I might have some serious talent here or like the, 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 I guess if there was a paradigm shifting moment or a line of demarcation where you went from kind of the hobby jogger kind of mindset, which is fine. I'm, I'm a hobby jogger for life yeah, definitely. to like, to something different. I need to get the year right because I've been asked this question in different ways before and it's either 2018 or 2019. Um, I decided I actually wanted to, train as best as I could for the Twin Cities 10 mile, which is the same weekend as Twin Cities Marathon. And it's kind of the one or two big races down here in the fall. And I enlisted help from Alex and really just set a training plan going back probably to January of that year. And I ran, I think a 62, which I had run the Twin Cities before and ran about a 72. So really shaved off a lot of time, enjoyed having uh, you know, one big goal with small goals along the way with some other community races, you know, 5Ks, 10Ks, trail races, things like that. And at that point, kind of thought, okay, this is this is something I could be good at. Um, I joined my local running club, which I can't, you know, say enough positive things about Mill City Running. I think when I joined, there were maybe two or 300 people, and now there are 950 people. Oh, my so gosh. So it's a very... Front supports the back, back supports the front from, you know, people training for trials right now, like my team at Kim Horner and I, um, to people who are training for their first 5K. And so huge, massive supportive group and just joining that and meeting other runners and people who had similar kind of goals and plans was a big shift for me. And when you say you started training more seriously in preparation for this race, 
what exactly did that mean in terms of, say, weekly mileage or, you know, a week construction, like a scheduling perspective, like from a week, like when was like what kind of workouts were you doing or how often and incorporating the long run? Can you just paint the picture of what a, a typical week or a typical month would have looked like during that time period? So before working with Alex, I was probably doing a lot of middling, um, just kind of going out running, probably with putting in too much effort for a short run. Um, so we started actually having training plans. And at that point, I was probably running maybe 50 miles a week. Um, I don't know if you saw the Fast Women article uh, with Sophie King this week. Yeah. Um, actually, I meant to, you said something about you know, gymnastics to running. And so a lot of things she said just absolutely resonated with me. You know, I didn't know running 50 miles a week was decently high volume. So I just jumped into it and she mentioned she didn't know she was fast. And so it didn't scary. It didn't feel scary to be fast because she didn't really know she was fast. And I think that really resonated with me where, yeah, I didn't know I, I was naive to all of it. So I didn't know some of these things were atypical. That's great. I love that, that idea of like how like the naivete of it ended up being a huge positive. Because there was no like limiting belief, right? Because I remember for a long time, I had heard somewhere like 40 miles a week was like a lot of miles a week. I have no idea how that entered my brain. But like for a long time, that like became a limiter. Of, like oh, I'm hitting 40. That's mm-hmm. like, that's, that's that's great. That's a lot of miles. Like I have no idea why that formed in my head. It does, it's not there anymore. But if like in my 20s, that was like, that was a bar. Like almost like the maximum leveler. Whereas like I look back now, I'm like, I don't know even know how I got that idea, but I wish I had it because like, I would have probably approached my training a little differently if I hadn't had this preconceived notion. The fact that you didn't obviously served as a huge positive. And then just talk to me about like the Minnesota, especially in Europe part of it, Minnesota's a huge state, but like, you know, in, in your neck of the woods, the Minnesota running culture, we've seen so many wonderful runners, both on the track, on the track roads and in ultra running come out of Minnesota. And it seems like from a per capita standpoint, it's like a huge influx of people coming from the Minnesota area and, and making these huge dents in the running world. Enlighten us. What, what's going on over there? I don't know if it's the kind of grit you get from training in the winters or what's going on. I can say that the running community has been very supportive um, Carrie Tolson, Kara Goucher, they have just been phenomenally positive and kind and welcoming and just having these big time Olympians that just talk to you on Instagram and, um, encourage you, I think is, is a huge piece of it, but yeah, I don't, I don't know what makes Minnesota, like you said, per capita, probably doing pretty well in distance running right now. For sure. And it, it, it shows a lot that Kara as person who's been a native Colorado, Coloradoan, someone who lives in Colorado. I don't know what the, the exact term is. Anyway, she's lived in Colorado for a long time. So, but she still resonates with Minnesota. It feels like as if she still lives there. And I know she goes back all the time, has family there, Carrie, obviously. And then so many other runners as well. Um, talk to me, I guess, about the, the Mill City Running Club, since that's something that's, that's that you're a part of and you've seen grow over time now, especially for the last five years. What about that group? lends itself not only to people getting better over a sustained period of time, but also welcoming newer runners, which can be a hard needle to thread for groups who want to be excellent at the top end, which can sometimes be alienating at the other end. But it seems like that wasn't the case for you guys. Uh, I think the store owners, Jeff and Becca, 
Um, they are a married couple that just when they started it, it was, this is our ethos and this is what we're going to live by. And hopefully that is going to make us stick around. And it absolutely did. You have, you know, uh, you know, Flapjack Friday is tomorrow morning at 6.30 and you're going to have people who are running easy seven minute pace to people who are kind of walk jogging 13 and there's space for everyone and it's kind of a big clump of people running in the dark with headlamps. Um, but they really do try to make it a situation where you find your niche. So once a month they have a BIPOC run. Actually tonight they have a new to Minnesota run, which if you know Midwesterners or you're from the Midwest, we can be kind of insulated and tricky to get to know, especially for people who are moving in from other states. So I think they do just a 100% honest approach to making it as inclusive as possible. All right. And I got to so shout out my teammate, Dre House, who's the race team coordinator and also one of my training partners. Nice. Nice. <laughs> All right. So you're in 2019, specifically, I know you had you run that 10 mile race. You do incredibly well. All right. So you go say on like the, the Gabby Rooker profile, like World Athletics, like that's the first race that pops up. Obviously, like the local 5Ks and stuff aren't going to pop up on that website. But that's like the first one, the first race result that really kind of hits their radar in terms of popularity and like the excellence with which you ran it. Now, after that, we don't have to go race by race, but you end up running your first marathon, run, you know, is it 254? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 254 first marathon, which is an incredible, incredible time for a first marathon. Okay, we don't have to dive all the way into that because we have other stuff we want to talk about. But marathon number two, end up running a 20 second, a 20 second, a 20 minute PR, right? 254 to 234. I know at the time that was like, I was, that's when I first heard about you. I think most people who follow running, I was like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. And talk to me about the the, the shifts in training and, you know, shifts in the, you know, the training side and then just the mental side that took place after the first marathon to help set the stage for that second marathon? I think grandma's the first time around, so 2021, um, the goal was to go sub three. I really had no idea what it was going to feel like to run a marathon going from a gymnastics team routine that absolutely burns at the end of a minute and a half, um, you know, much more like a four or 800 meter runner um, to a marathon. A lot of it was about enjoying the process and taking in the training. You know, I did get up again. My I was naive. I got up to like 85, 90 mile weeks, um, not realizing that that was pretty high volume that first time around. So I think I think I had a three or four minute negative PR, uh, negative uh, split PR. So didn't really know what I was doing. Probably could have raced it a little different. So the 20 minute PR is massive, but I think there's, there was some room for race uh, strategy in that first time around. Uh, but yeah, I was really motivated. I knew that the Olympic trials standard was going to be faster, but I kind of felt like that was something I was going to work towards. And um, I remember when it came out, I felt kind of discouraged, especially because I thought I'd have to shave off 10 to 15 minutes. And it was 17 or 18, whatever that math is. Uh, but Alex just kind of said, you already knew you had to run fast. Now you just have to run faster. <laughs> so uh, it just meant a lot of consistent miles. I love that. Now, do you think that your years spending three, four, five hours a day doing gymnastics type work um, set the stage for you to handle this kind of training? Obviously, it's a very different 
like, I guess you mentioned, like, the sports are very different. With that said, do you think that the years of doing that and all the hours spent every day set the stage for the kind of training that would lead to that kind of growth and, and not have to like build up over years and years and years to get to 90 miles a week and, and still like stay healthy doing so? Most definitely. I think any sport or discipline where you have kind of just a long, slow burn is going to set you up for marathon training. So whether that's gymnastics for me or like I had mentioned, it's Sophie King was a division one swimmer. Um, it seems like there's crossover and just lessons that you learn through sport that set you up for success in lots of other avenues of life. For sure. Do you ever look at like a two hour run? Think to yourself like, well, I used to like spend four hours a day in the gym. Like what's two hours working out? <laughs> I Not so much because uh, it is so different, but you, I do think, you know, time on feet is never going to be as long as the amount of time I spend in the gym. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but gonna, they don't I mean, you, you can, Who's to say? You can do you, maybe the ultra running is in the future, right? You don't know. Maybe yeah. we're going to be doing, you know, 100-mile races for all we know. Like, maybe five hours is going to be, like, the minimum <laughs> in the future. Yeah, maybe. So I love talking about multi-sport athletes or athletes that come into running from other sports and see success doing it because I think that it can – show us not only that running potential is something that can manifest not at any time, but it doesn't have to be something that, you know, needs to be, you know, jumped upon like in someone's preteen years in order to have phenomenal success, which is exactly what you're having, but also that these other sports can not merely not take that running potential away, but potentially even build it up. Like I would assume given that gymnastics background that, that, you know, that the kind of, muscular and skeletal stress from all of the jumping and landing as long as someone's fueling themselves properly would lead them to be fairly injury resilient as a runner considering that the impact forces are so much less in running than in gymnastics would that be a fair assumption to make i certainly don't know the physiology side as well as alex but uh it seems to be a accurate assertion and then I did have my bone density tested in college and now and gymnasts do have very strong bone density assuming feeling right training right so yeah that seems to have carried over now when you were building up from the the 254 to the 234 and as you mentioned like maybe it wasn't feel like the full like two you know 20 minute PR because maybe you could have run faster the first time sorry even if we said it was a 15 minute PR that's still enormous (laughs) like you know especially at that at that pace right because from a a percentage PR perspective that's a massive percentage right it's not like someone like again which like a lot of people who listen to this and may have gone from like a 430 marathoner to like a 410 415 that's still an enormous PR with that mm-hmm. said, it's not the same percent PR as someone going from 254 to 234, which makes it even more, you know, even more amazing, I guess, frankly. So with that being said, as you progress into that 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 um, that intensity in the sport, you're building up to 90 miles a week. What did that mean for you in terms of enjoying the sport and the combination of that plus the working hours that you were doing as a physician's assistant you know, through the you know, through through COVID as well, all of a sudden you're ramping up the miles. It's becoming a very serious thing. Work obviously is becoming extremely serious because you're going, you're working in a medical field during the pandemic. What was that like as both of these areas of your life are becoming more and more intensified? 
going back to the COVID and running, I think that that was just a huge release for me because I do work in a hospital. I work in internal medicine. And so I was seeing so many sick patients and watching patient, patients get sicker and sicker um, and feeling somewhat helpless at times. And so to be able to know I had the consistency of running was a huge piece for me. And I think that's probably partly where I found so much purpose in it um, as a release, especially I work seven days on followed by seven days off. So during those seven days off, I could really just hit the ground running with as much as I could handle. And then on those days on when I had long, stressful, sick days, um, I knew that I had a run waiting for me at the end of the day and not much else I had to worry about once I kind of checked out. So you would run post-work and not pre-work? I don't remember if I was doubling then. Um, I do double uh, my on weeks a couple times a week before work uh, with a shorter run now, but I don't think I was probably doubling during on weeks at that point so so frequently. Okay. And so you're doing the seven days on, seven days off. How long, like, when do you say... The, the work day, like when would it start? What are the hours? And I'm sure it changes maybe month to month or year to year. But what, what did that look like then? And what does it look like now? It really varies because it's hospital-based. Uh, we have day shifts. We have evening shifts. I luckily don't work any overnight shifts. Um, so sometimes working till as late as midnight. Um, and then, you know, not working till the middle of the day the next day. Um, and then sometimes more just kind of 7 a.m. start-ish um, until the work is done. I do have some flexibility where I can make sure all my patients are seen and families are updated and specialists are discussed and kind of finish some charting from home after running, which is great. After all of that kind of success, I'd love to ask you at what point during that process of going from again, 234 and step-by-step going down to 224, at what point do you look at the other competitors at these starting lines or, you know, when you think about the, the other women who are running unbelievably well across America and say, hey, these are not merely people I look up to, but these are now my peers and people that I think on a good day I could take down, you know, in, in some of the biggest races because that's exactly what you've done. I think the needles just slowly moved for me and I've really focused on seeing how fast I can get. And so I think I put it out there after grandma's that the goal was going to try to be to see if I could run the world standard, um, which I think at the time was the 229.30. So just kind of chipping away towards that. Um, And then as I got closer to that, just sort of seeing what's next and being really okay with if what's next isn't faster, that's okay. I have come to this non-conventionally. I've already seen a lot of success. I've met new friends, built a new community, really enjoyed doing this with Alex. And so I think there was a lot of other positive kind of bonus things that I got that didn't have anything to do with running fast. And it sounds like maybe I keep that in perspective really well, but I can tell you I don't always. Um, And that Alex is probably one who keeps reframing it when things do feel like they're getting more impactful and more intense. 
All right, I want to dive in there, if you don't mind, real quick, because I know that that's something what you just mentioned that amateur runners face all the time, right? This almost is independent of ability of when we have big time goals and we really want to achieve them. Oftentimes we can push so hard or we can, you know, kind of fixate on them in a way that it can make the experience go from a positive one to sometimes a negative one or can be a stressful experience. And the yin and the yang of that can sometimes get out of whack. So I'd love to hear how you and Alex have worked through similar things. I think, you know, marathoning when you're doing it is alone. It's just you out on the road um, with, you know, thousands of other runners, but you in your own head. But having your team day in and day out, I was talking to one of my teammates, Maggie, about it probably about a month ago, and she was saying how she had this really good workout, and we were, we'd posted, or someone had posted in the Slack about how good her workout was, and her husband said something to her, and she's like, yeah, it was fine, and then he said, well, what do all those messages say? And she said that she really just tries to check a box for the day, and so did something positive come out of that day? And if it wasn't my run, she's a teacher. Was it working with my students? Was it uh, in coaching cross country? Um, and just trying to chip at it day by day and remembering you're going to have good days. You're going to have phenomenal days. You're going to have okay days. You're going to have crappy days and focusing on enjoying that process and being okay with having each of those days. Um, she seems really good at that. So I'm trying to take some of her wisdom. Are you able to take any of the wisdom from your younger self? Like, did, Were you able to enjoy the process when you were a gymnast in terms of getting better every day and trying to reach new levels? No, I was really bad at that. Um, I had some fair amount of success my freshman year, and then I just piled on the pressure onto myself. And it was making things more challenging my sophomore year and really crumbled by junior year. And I had a lot of mental blocks and anxiety and challenges associated with that. So my coach set me up with a sports psychologist and I was able to get help. And it took many months. I was still competing. I was still successful on the outside, but it took a long time to get to the point where I was okay with where I was at kind of day in and day out with practice and making slow steps and being a teammate. And I think by my senior year, I was really learning that, but it took a long time. And so now I think I'm better at it. But as a gymnast, I had to learn the hard way. Did you have to revisit some of those lessons that you learned with your sports psychologist earlier in life as you progress as a marathoner? Obviously, early on, your running career is like, hey, who cares? I'm trying to run my best. And, you know, you weren't a pro back then or anything like that. Like, you know, it was still kind of a, a really fun new adventure. It's not that anymore, right? Mm-hmm. You're one of America's best marathoners and you're trying to do, do amazing things. doesn't mean it's not still an adventure, but you're not new in the process. So did you have to revisit some of those learning experiences from your past? I have had a lot of people helping me out in the last two years who really do focus on mental health and a sports psychologist that I've had access to and... I think some of those lessons I learned when I was 20, 21, 22 have been really easy to translate over to running. And especially leading up probably the six to eight weeks before Chicago, I was able to just enjoy doing a lot of those mental health training exercises and breathing. And I think that made a huge deal, huge impact. As you were getting ready for Chicago, what were some of the goals that you had for the race? So if we're talking kind of on paper, black and white goals, I wanted to run the Olympic standard and ideally sub 226. I was hoping to run that at grandma's. 
Um, so grandma still felt like a really great day, but, um, I kind of knew as soon as grandma's was over that I wanted to run a big race in Chicago and I really wanted to enjoy the race. Every person I talked to, you know, what are you running, running Chicago? Oh my gosh, it's one of my favorite races. You're going to love it. It's going to be such a phenomenal day. And so I didn't want to just hype it that it was this incredible race, but I was really looking forward to the race. And I think the crowd, the course, the weather, you know, it being close, you know, just a few hours from home for me, those were all really lovely things. And I really just got to enjoy the day. And when you think about enjoying a race, obviously part of that is, you know, performing well and and living and kind of running up to your current fitness and potential and things like that. Um, Beyond that, how much of that is internally focused in terms of cultivating, you know, a positive mindset and, and things along that nature? And how much is external in terms of experiencing the crowds and the other runners and maybe some of the elite women who are running with you or maybe even say the sub elite men if you have relationships with them? So kind of taking that piece by piece, the mental health piece was really big for me because I was, I was nervous. I felt more nervous leading into this, that race week. I think I felt like, you know, you're running with the pros. This is a big deal. This is awesome. This is really cool. You get to be a part of that and trying to kind of keep focusing it back to icing on the cake that I, Gabby three years ago would never have believed that. Um, But then also accepting the gravity of it, that this is where you're at and you need to be ready to step up and that your fitness is there and that you've been working really hard and this is going to be a big day for you. And so balancing that out, um, a lot of, I just had so many other like elite and sub elite female athletes that I got to see and got to spend a lot of time with that weekend, which is kind of my favorite part of all of it is just the relationships that have developed in the past couple of years for me. So that's been really fun. Um, and then, yeah, I just going to the starting line and I was talking to people and I was like, hi, my name's Gabby. You know, I don't think anyone knows who I am. Like, oh, I know. Like, you know, you don't want to do the like, I know exactly who you are kind of thing. But <laughs> um, sort of not feeling like I didn't belong by any means because I was very comfortable in where I was time wise. But in that group of women just being like, oh, hey, I, I'm going to run with you guys. Um, but the pack that went out together, there were five of us. And then Ben Bruce pacing was really inspirational, really working together, strong, uh, positive group of women. So that was pretty unforgettable for me. And And what was the communication like with that pack? Was it, was there verbal communication? Was it more nonverbal and just getting to know the people around you? Can you describe what that was like? And maybe it shifted over the course of the race day? I'm not sure if anyone chatted after the technical meeting on Saturday, uh, but I hadn't talked to anyone and I was kind of intimidated by going out at two uh, twenty-five pace. So I initially thought I would hang back a little bit and then see where I was. And But then it was kind of like, okay, well, there's this group and they're going to be working hard and they're going to be working together. Just go for it. So I decided to do that. And there was probably more, I mean, at bottle stations, everyone's kind of helping each other out and things like that. Uh, but Maggie Montoya was kind of pointing out every pothole and she was pointing at things. And, um, she was just like this very positive force, I guess, during the race. So I really enjoyed racing with her. Um, and then, you know, you had Sarah Vaughn in there. She has so many people just cheering for her. And, um, yeah, the pack, the pack was pretty incredible. So. And did you race with Sarah at CIM? Was that the same year? Did you guys 
both or is that or is she in a different year when she ran her did her I, her I year at CIM? Twenty twenty one, I believe. Okay. And I was okay. in twenty twenty two. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I saw that, and I, I was like, "All right, hold on." Just trying to like, connect the dots because I know that she was around the same time at CIM that you ran, but it was her debut marathon um, that year. So obviously, it was a huge day for you, right? Like two twenty four. You're running with these incredible athletes. You're you shown everybody again just how capable you are. And now here we are. We're you know three months out, almost to the day. Actually, I think exactly to the day of the <laughs> yeah, Olympic trials. Just about. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess what does the, what does these next three months look like for you? Like, can you break it down? Like, do you have like the, the each month broken down? Like, how do you and Alex look at the next three months from a a recovery and training perspective to be at your best for Orlando? From a recovery perspective, I'm good to go. Um, had some tight hamstrings, which is pretty common for me, even when they're not bothering me in the race, like post-marathon, that seems to be the spot that's a little slowish for me. Um, that's completely resolved. We're back into intervals, slowly getting mileage up, getting intensity up, and trying to navigate what these next few months are going to look like. I am taking a leave of absence from work the month of January, so I think that's going to be huge um, balancing a full-time job and full-time training has gotten progressively more challenging. So I'm really looking forward to having some downtime and really just focusing on, on racing. I'm going to start working a little less as well in December. So between the two, um, I'm going to have a lot more flexibility to just run. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that that's kind of been something that you've had to consider for a while now, right? Cause you look at, especially as you've gotten faster, the women that you're racing against might not have some of the constraints that you have. And it's not just time constraints, like you have a demanding job that requires a lot of, you know, besides, you know, physical stamina to be on the job and at your best, there's a lot of mental and emotional stamina that goes along with that. So, I mean, you already mentioned like what you're going to be doing from work perspective over December and January, but even the past like year or two, how have you, like, I guess, what tactics have you used from a day-to-day recovery stuff or things along that nature to make sure that you're able to transition from work life into training life and to do that as well as you can? Working full-time has been tough and there've been days where I've felt felt sorry for myself. (laughs) I have to, you know, wake up and run 6K or, you know, four miles, whatever, before work, get home, run and lift or whatever. but it's also been something that I really enjoy and is really meaningful to me. So it takes me away from running in a good way some ways. Um, and Alex really picks up a ton of slack when I'm working, you know, cooking, cleaning, other kind of chores types things that just fall by the wayside. And I'm learning to be better about letting some of those cleaning and type A personality things fall by the wayside. They're not that important when I'm running 90 miles and working seven days in a row. Um, And so kind of maybe learning to be a little bit more of a balanced person. Uh, But yeah, it is, I'm I'm really looking forward to having some time away. My job has been really supportive of me taking that time and accommodating as much as they can. Yeah, absolutely. And are there people 
in the running world that you've talked to about that balancing process or how to like make the most of this experience while things are going well and and things along those lines obviously alex as as a coach and husband is is a major a major source of conversation along these sorts of things but is there anyone else in the women's field or even the men's field or even people who've retired that has either served as a sounding board or offered advice on topics like that I've been very lucky with mentorship along the way, especially um, over the past month or so. Like I said, um, Kira Tolfson and Kira Goucher have both been really supportive people. Um, I ended up talking to Kira D'Amato uh, a couple weeks ago, which was an unreal, <laughs> uh, out-of-this-world experience just to be talking to her, but um, also incredibly helpful, um, helping me just you know, she's balanced everything and she's done it obviously as best as anyone could in the world. And so, uh, yeah, trying to reshift that focus. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Two more questions. Then we're going to get going. I guess first one is when you're on one of your on weeks from, um, working the hospital and you're also doing all the running stuff, how do you, like, how do you eat during the day to allow yourself to have all the energy that you need? Obviously it's like, that's a ton of caloric output to manage you know that crazy work schedule and the crazy training schedule but also you're not like it's not like working from home where you go hey i might be working a lot but i can just walk over to the fridge anytime i want like how do you balance the fueling especially during those on weeks it's a lot of meal prep or if meal prep isn't happening trying to get you know protein and carbohydrate rich Foods. What are the what are the um, go tos? Do, do, do you have go tos that are always like the ones that you always like try to fit in, or like they're easy to make, or like they're always accessible, or maybe it's just because they taste good? We do a lot of bowls, so like, you know, a grain bowl with a meat and a protein, and or obviously the meat is the protein, um, and vegetables and things like that. But I mean, also we get chipotle. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's that got makes a lot it of easy. calories. It has a lot of protein. So I mean, it's just balancing all of that out and then trying to have as many just like snacks in my bag and things in the fridge at work and uh just prepping that as best as i can all right last question before we get going do you have advice that you can or maybe already do provide to college athletes who maybe aren't haven't picked up running before but are looking for a new athletic outlet post-college and are just trying to figure out something to do with their life because they still want to be a part of you know, that athletic lifestyle, but maybe the sport that they do just isn't conducive to, to post-college life. And, and obviously it's something that's worked out incredibly well for you. Maybe they won't be a 224 marathoner, but I love to know just from a, a process standpoint or mindset standpoint, but you would say to one of those people who's looking for that next thing and is just unsure what to do and maybe running is something that could work for them. Reach out and see if there's a community, whether it's big or small or fast or slow um, try and find people that you can run with and that you can enjoy. And I think the running community is really welcoming and seek that out. And worst case scenario, you meet some new friends and you hate running and best case scenario, fall in love with it and maybe become a marathoner. There you go. Gabby Rooker. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's great to talk, Matt.